0: Jeremiah chapter 17, the first point will be found in verse number 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. That's point number 1. And I want to make these points one at a time. God doesn't just keep a little notepad and write with a a worn-out pencil. But the sin of man, not just the sin of Judah, but the sin of man is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. That's point number one. When God writes down sin, he etches it into marble. He puts it down for keeps, as it were. The next point I want to make is in verse five. I'm not just sliding over verses here to miss anything. Uh, It just continues to talk about judgment against Judah. Verse five, thus saith the Lord, cursed or cursed be the man that trusteth in men or man. And who maketh his arm, flesh, his arm. In other words, the the man that takes other men and makes them his strong arm. The Bible said, "Cursed is the man that trusteth in man and who maketh flesh his arm or his right hand or his power, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. He shall be like heath in the desert." shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Point number three is verse seven. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Now I want to talk about the strength of diamond. Why would the Lord say here through the mouth of Jeremiah that the sin of Judah is written with a pin of iron and the point of a diamond? I understand that the hardest substance known to man that can be gathered from the, from the earth is diamond. It's a hard, hard substance. They put diamond on the tips of the drills that drill through hard granite because the diamond is harder than granite. The way you can test whether or not a diamond is a true diamond is to take a piece of glass and take that diamond and scratch it against the glass. You can be sure the glass will not scratch the diamond. The diamond will scratch the glass. If it's a true diamond, it will leave its mark on every other hard substance because diamond is the hardest substance that can be gathered from the earth. There may be other substances that have been uh, made scientifically by man that may be harder. I do not know that. But I know that in all of the ore and the stones and the creation, nothing is harder than a diamond. The dentist, when he drills into your tooth and uh, digs around, nothing in the world upsets me so much as to hear a dentist drill. I just, my eyes go... Wild. I can look at Dallas and Fort Worth at the same time. and uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with these professional gentlemen except that I avoid them like the plague, because I, when they turn on that, I can stand it as long as they stand around and talk. Oh, how are you? Good to see you, Reverend. Say, it's good to have you in again. How are your teeth feeling? Oh, they're fine. What are you doing in here? Oh, well, I've got a little problem back here in the back. Well, let me take a look. And they grab your jaw and pull it out and make you look like a Boston bulldog. And then when they observe that cavern in your little ivory back there, they say, Oh, that won't take long. And that's when I just pass out. Beg for gas and for everything else at that point. That's right. I just don't like those drills. And they say they can drill anything out of there. Because those little drills have a tip on them that's made out of diamond. It's a hard, hard substance. And it can just drill anything out. Now you'd think that the Lord would be would be tender and merciful enough that He just would overlook a lot of things. And that's what the world's opinion of God is—that He is a pushover. That He's just—you know—they've got themselves all mixed up between God being austere and hard and difficult, and then on the other hand. He is so merciful and full of love that he's not even going to worry about you. But the Bible teaches us that he will by no means exempt or let go the guilty. He won't let anybody that's guilty go. Now, how can God be merciful and every time you do something that's not right, he gets out his big drill and starts writing it in marble, writing it in granite. He's got a pen that's made out of iron, and it's got the point of a diamond on it, as it were. And when you do things that are not right, and you live ways that are not right, God doesn't just write it down with a mushy uh, pointed pencil. He doesn't just write it with little watercolors. He starts chiseling it away in the records, etching it out. When I was growing up, we lived on Hunter Street in Logan, Ohio, and uh, Hunter Street, uh, that was uh, just inside the city limits. We lived in a big old bungalow house uh, right across from the uh, Ebers Monument Company. That's where they carved out tombstones. You wake up in the morning. And they'd do that till 5 o'clock. I was so glad when 5 o'clock came because they shut those drills off. And David Ebers was my best friend. He lived up behind me on 3rd Street. And we'd go up there. Uh, it was, he and I were the first ones to ever jump off a garage with an umbrella and land successfully. I mean, by that I mean we landed. We successfully hit the ground. The umbrella folded wrong side out. We, uh, we did make it to the ground. <clears throat> And none of the other boys on the block jumped off, so we were more successful than they. Crippled for a while, but successful. Uh, We used to sit back in the back behind the garage and watch the gas men dig. never forget the day. One of the most shocking things that ever happened to David and I was when the ambulance came racing and screaming up the street, and we always would run out to see it. But this day it didn't just race up the street, it turned the corner on Hunter Street and came right back to the back of our garage where the gasmen were digging back in the gas main. And we'd been sitting back there just an hour before, sitting up on the edge of the garage, looking over in the alley, watching them dig. Digging a big hole back there. It must have been six eight feet deep. And they were just digging and digging, and we were watching. We got tired of that, so we went out to play ball. And this ambulance came screaming up there, the emergency squad and the fire department, and you know, just a few minutes after we'd stopped watching back there, that whole thing caved in and buried a man and killed him. And they were digging him out. And we climbed up on the garage and watched them dig him out. And I wish I'd never done that. That was one of the most horrible things I ever did. I had nightmares about that for a long, long time. Sometimes I even still think about that. As a matter of fact, I thought about that this morning, right now. That stayed in my mind a long time. That was back, way back before the Civil War. and. Uh, David Ebers and I were good friends. His daddy owned the monument shop. His daddy was a good, he was good with a drill. So that gave me an open ticket to go over and see Mr. Ebers and see how they drilled out those monuments. How are you, Mr. Ebers? I'm fine. How are you boys? I'm fine. Hey, what you doing today? Oh, we're just writing names on these stones. Well, don't you ever run out of names? No, don't seem to. We always got lots of business. You know, he said lots of folks are dying all the time. Boy, that shocked me too, he didn't have to tell me that, I was only five. <laughs> That's a shocking experience, lots of folks are dying all the time. I said, well, must be a lot of old folks in the world, a lot of old folks in the world. He said, you know, it's an amazing thing, he said, but all these stones are not for old folks. He said, some of them are for babies. He didn't have to tell me that either. <laughs> he said, we even got some, said that we write them on there for boys about your age. Well when he said that, I mean, it was a collapsing situation. I looked at David, David looked at me, we both just zipped out the door. He knew how to get rid of us. All he had to do was talk about kids our age, writing their names on those marble stones. I never quite forgot that. That's the first thing that hit my brain when I read this scripture and got old enough to understand it. God writes sin with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. He doesn't intend for the weather to wash it off. He doesn't intend for the elements to erase it. When a man does sin against God, it is an immutable crime. There are very few substances known to man that can eradicate the etched marks that God makes somewhere in the annals, the granite annals of his memory concerning our deeds. Very few things can wash that away. Very few things can erase that. Now what happens normally when men sin against God? They take one or two paths. Some folks try to take three. But the third path is no path. Some folks try to straddle the fence and say, I don't know if God is or if he's not. I don't know if he's good or if he's bad. I really don't know and I really, I mean I'm not living against God and I'm not living for God. You can't straddle the fence. If you're not living for God, you're living against him. So it still leaves two choices. So I'm back to point number two. Point number one, God writes down your sin with a pin of iron and the point of a diamond. He will by no means excuse the guilty, the scripture tells us. He's not going to let you go. You're caught. It's not like running from the police and getting away. It's not like some dragnet out trying to find you and you can hide and stay undercover for two years and nobody knows where you are. It isn't that way with God. He sees everything. He knows everything. He sees all men everywhere. There is no escaping his eye. The eye of the Lord is in every place beholding the good and the evil. When a man sins against God, there is absolutely no chance of escape. God gets out his pen again and there he goes and he writes it down. Not just with a little old pencil. He writes it down with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. He grinds it out so that nothing, wind, time, weather, nothing is going to wash it away. You've heard me talk a lot of times about Aunt Ruth, my father's sister who was the first in our household to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost back 65 years ago or so, long, long time ago. She's the one that fell out in the aisle and got to shaking and talking in tongues in the Methodist church when they sang Rock of Ages, and they thought she had epilepsy. Well, she's, that's right, thought there's something bad wrong with her, and they told her, the stewards told her, told Grandpa, said, Now, Benny, said, if she does this many times, said, you're going to have to keep her home church. So we just cannot have her having spells in church like this. Because she just they'd go to singing rock of ages and she'd just fall out in the aisle and speak in tongues. And they didn't know what that was. Man, that talking in tongues, that's bad business. Whew. So they decided after a while that she wasn't really having a physical seizure, but that she was emotionally unbalanced, and she definitely had troubles with her mind, until Uncle Clint came seventeen miles and told The Benjamin Hanby family, that uh, they were having a brush arbor meeting out in front of his house, and people getting the Holy Ghost and talking in tongues, just like they did in the Bible. Well, Grandma and Grandpa had gotten a little discouraged with the Methodist Church. Good folks, but they were planning to move uptown, and the little old country church where they'd gone all those years was going to shut down. And they just didn't feel like they could go into Thornville. That's a long way to ride in the wagon. But when they found out that people were getting the Holy Ghost and talking in tongues just like they did in the Bible, they were willing to go 17 miles a night to that old Brush Arbor meeting week after week after week. Get up four o'clock in the morning and milk the cows, too. That's where our family heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism of fire in their lives, delivering power of God. Aunt Ruth's the one that was crippled, you know, when they went to meet and she was 15 years old when a locomotive scared the horse and turned the buggy over and drug her 500 feet under the buggy. And it. It just messed her spine up so bad her leg drew up an inch and a half shorter than the other and she was a cripple at 15 years of age. Grandma Hamby was taken to Columbus with bleeding ulcers. They operated on her in their crude fashion in that day and told her that she had less than six months to live. And uh, that's the way it was when the news came that Jesus Christ was still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Grandma Hamby passed away, I think, two years ago at age 99. And that was... 65 years after they said that she wouldn't live, and and Aunt Ruth, they didn't sing Rock Ages, but she fell out in that brush arbor just like she did in the Methodist Church, and when she did, they knew what was wrong with her, and they explained and diagnosed her case and said she had the Holy Ghost. That was fine. (laughs) That was fine. Well, Aunt Ruth passed away, too just the day before conference this year. She passed away at age 80 years. And uh, so instead of going straight to Indianapolis, I went to Kirkersville, Ohio, and met my father and mother there. And we went out to the graveyard there and buried Aunt Ruth. Well, it wasn't too much crying and carrying on because, well, she lived a full life. She served the Lord. She loved the Lord. There just wasn't a whole lot of mourning going on. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we just didn't stand around there and hold on to each other and cry all day. We did talk about the weather, and we did talk about how pretty the cemetery was, and we did talk about heaven and the resurrection. What a morning that was going to be. And then I got to walking through the graveyard, looking at those stones. My daddy would say, there lays a saint right there. That's Walk with me, daddy. See, there lays one right over there. Their names were carved out in those stones with a pen of iron, the point of a diamond on those stones. And then he came by a stone that looked old and weathered, but the name was just as clear. He said, you know, that man passed away when I was a boy. And I marveled that on that stone the name stood out just as clear, probably as the day they carved it out because they carved it with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. And I thought of the scripture while I stood in that graveyard and looked around at all of those white stones pushing their way up out of the beautiful grass, a flower arrangement strewn here and there, the men standing over on the side puffing on old, dead cigarettes waiting to cover up the fresh grave, and the men with the flower trucks uh, pulling away, the tractor cranking up, getting ready to mow the graveyard as soon as we'd get out of there. And I looked around at all those graves and wondered just how many saints there were really there and how long it'd be before those old tombstones would roll over. And a little trickle of joy sprang up in my inspiration and ran all the length of my soul. Hallelujah. And somehow I almost wish I was laying there just for a minute. Did you ever? You say, well, that's crazy. No. There are times when I wish I could just lay down there and cover up with that grass and wait for that morning. Praise God. You see, there are no more battles to fight out there. No more wars to fight. No more temptation. No more trial. No more test. And just to think, they get to go first. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. What a morning that's going to be. Hallelujah. What a morning that's going to be. How many of you want to be ready for the resurrection? Hallelujah. That's why I'm preaching to you that if you have sin in your life unrepented. It is etched just as deeply as the names on tombstones. And then point number two. The Lord said, Cursed is everyone, every man that trusted in man, that maketh flesh his arm. It doesn't matter what has happened in your life, how much influence you have, what social strata you're in. How much money you've got. There isn't any way you can buy your name off that roll. If you're a sinner. If you've disregarded God. If you've gone away from God. If you've ignored God. You'll notice that that verse ends by who's saying whose heart departeth from God. If your heart is not reaching out toward God. That's as much crime as the man who goes out and pulls a gun and says, oh, I don't want your money. The man who ignores God. The one who walks past Calvary and leaves the blood unattended. That man is as guilty of the blood of Christ as the criminal on the street. The bank robber. That's right. The child molester. The man and the woman who ignores the call of Calvary. That cares nothing for his religious service. That doesn't feel any pull of the Spirit of God or conviction at their heart. And lets God just go his way and they go their way. The man who trusts in man. You say, well, I'll make it on my own. I've got money I can get by. I've got friends in this world. My family will take good care of me. I think that I'm a pretty good person. Hey, get your thumbs out of your lapel and listen to the word of God. The Bible says that your sin is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond. And just trusting in your own strength. And trusting in your own power or your goodness or your family or your affluence doesn't erase that name off the roll. There's only one thing that can take your name off God's blacklist, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes whiter than snow. That's all. That's all. Time isn't going to change God's mind. Circumstances and being good to your neighbor. That doesn't rub it off. That's right. It's like trying to rub the name off a tombstone with a handkerchief. You say, well, I'm good to my friends. That ought to get me somewhere. It won't get you anywhere with God. You say, well, I've done the best I can. You're trusting in man. And the Bible said, cursed is man that trusteth in man. You say, well, I have treated my family well, I take good care of my husband, my wife wants for nothing, my children have their way paid to college. It's just like taking a Brillo pad and expecting that you can smooth out the Grand Canyon. There's no way. There's no way. Because the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. When God writes it, it cuts deep, 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 deep. And he doesn't forget it. The justice of God requires your death. The justice of God cries out for your spiritual demise. The justice of God is not satisfied nor pleased to let you go. God is not going to let you by. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're not going to get by. I don't want to make you feel badly today, but I want to explain to you that Just trusting in yourself, trusting in your good common sense, trusting in your good deeds will not change God's mind about your destiny. No. Cursed. He could have said in bad shape. Or he could have said it's not going to go so well for those who trust. He didn't say that. He said cursed. That means they're damned. That means they're lost. People who trust in themselves are lost. People who lean on their own strength are lost. People who trust in their own wisdom or their own affluence or their own business are lost. Not just in bad shape, not just ignored, not just overlooked, but cursed is every man that trusteth in man. And that maketh flesh his arm. A good attorney won't save you. A good judge won't save you. Good business relationships won't save you. Every man stands the same height, six feet down. They may deck you with the finest suit, shiny shoes. You may have diamond rings on your hand. You may have all kinds of wealth laying all over your casket. But it doesn't do anything for your soul, nothing for your soul. The rich man and the poor man, man. The worms eat them just about the same speed. There's not that much difference in any of us. You say, well, I've been successful. That doesn't change God's opinion of your sin. But now listen to this. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Number one, we have the edict. Man's sin will not be overlooked. Point one, people who trust in themselves are cursed. Point two, people who trust in the Lord are blessed. Let's all say blessed. Blessed Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord You know what you need to do today if I were in your place today, and in my place today? You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to ask the Lord to take everything out of my heart that's not right. I'm going to ask Him one more time to wash me in His precious blood. I'm going to ask Him to just cover me with His love. But not only that, I want Him to forgive me. I want Him to wash me white as snow. I'm not going to trust in my good works. I'm not going to trust in my good deeds. I'm not going to just hope that I've done enough good things in my life. I'm going to ask the Lord today before I walk out of this building. I'm going to ask the Lord. I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, and that's who the Lord is. The Lord is Jesus. I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to wash me in your blood. And I want you to take your blood. It's an amazing thing. But the Bible said the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sin. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But one man in the end of time died for all men. Hallelujah. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. If you go past the blood there's no chance that that can ever be eradicated. Your name is written with a pen of iron. And the point of a diamond. You say, well, Brother Hamby, I haven't been living just like I should. You better talk to him today. Say, well, I have done pretty good, but I've got a few things. Then talk to him about the few things. The thing to do today is, you say, well, I couldn't do it today because, listen, I just don't want to feel like I'm backslid. Let me tell you something. If you're lost, you need to be covered by the blood. If you're saved, you need to be covered by the blood. Whoever you are, you need to be covered by the blood. You say, well, I'm a good Methodist. You need to be covered by the blood. You say, I'm a Baptist. You need the blood. Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, you need the blood. We don't need denominationalism, and we don't need some kind of a dogma, but we definitely need the washing of the blood. Everybody, whoever you are, wherever you are, we need to have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts. And the first step in that application is repentance. It's your acknowledgment of your sin and your guilt before God. That's one thing God absolutely requires for you just to slide into a home base in front of God and say, Well, if I've done anything I shouldn't do, Lord, you take care of it. You can hang it up. That's not going to get the job done. You need to come before Him and open your soul and say, Here I am. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I need to be. Say, well, I've prayed one time and I'm saved. I don't need that. The Bible said, If any man sin... He have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. And he started out by writing to them, Beloved, and little children, and brethren, and said if any man sin, he's not talking about a rank sinner out in the world somewhere that's never known God. That's right. He's talking to the saved church. If any man sin, he have an advocate. He's got help. He's got a go-between. He's got a mediator. He have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the sacrifice or the means for our sin. And not for ours. Notice, our sin and not for ours only, but the sin of the whole world. He defines between our sin and the world's sin. I don't preach nor believe that you've got to sin every day. I don't believe that anybody has to commit sin, but the Bible said if any man sin, God lets the door wide open for you. The plunging in the blood is not just a one-time affair. The washing of the blood is not something you just did 20 years ago when you went to the altar and repented, but the blood is a flowing stream wide open for you every day. And men and women who ignore it are fools. Because the man who trusts in himself, whether you've been saved five years or never been saved at all, anytime you ever decide in your mind that you don't have to have God, that you've done pretty well, well, I go to church every Sunday. I paid my tithes today, Brother Hanby. I'll have my mission pledge ready Thursday night at mission service. Don't worry about me. I'm coming along just fine. Wait a minute. Just wait a minute. If you've been there 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, five months... You don't just get seniority with God. This walk with God is a step at a time. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Not the path, but the steps, two and a half feet at a time. That's how we walk with God, step at a time, two and a half feet at a time. And I need him today. And you need him today. Everybody in this building needs the Lord today. And that's why we should say, no matter what we are or who we are or how good we are or what we've done, you say, hey, you're the preacher in this church. You shouldn't tell anybody you need to repent. I seek the Lord every day, whether I have conscious sin or unconscious sin, whether I know I've done wrong or do not know or have an opinion of whether I've done wrong. I just every day ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, I want you to take a look at my heart. You said that you were the propitiation for my sin. I want to be right with you. I want to be washed in your blood. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me, Jesus. Make me clean. Make me pure. I want to be ready to meet you, because I know that when I take that blood and let it drift on downstream, that my sin is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond, and the only thing that can wash it away is the blood that washes whiter than snow. Come let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, it shall be as wool. Though they be like crimson, they shall be whiter than snow. The Lord wants to wash your record clear today, and the first step in having that done is to tell God that you've done wrong and you want to get right. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you repent of your sins, you open the door for God to bring all the good things in life to you. For example, the scripture says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance is the doorway to receiving remission of sin and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you don't repent, you can't receive that, that's right. Repent ye and be converted, the scripture says. Repent ye and be converted, so that when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, you can be able to receive it. Refreshing comes as a result of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. All of that begins. The new heart, the renewed spirit, the joy. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. All of that begins with Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I can safely say to you today that every blessing that comes from God to you begins with your personal acknowledgement of your need of God. Cursed is the man that trusteth in man. When you just assume that you're going to be all right, you are in trouble. But when you take nothing for granted and say, I need thee, O oh, I need Thee, every hour I need Thee, oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. When you say that, you open the doors and the windows of heaven, and every blessing that God has in His storehouse, He aims right at your heart. Are you hungry for something from God? Would you like for the Lord to help you, bless you, fill you with his Spirit, give you remission of sin? It all begins with repentance and the washing of the blood. Shall we stand together? Sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. Cursed is the man that trusteth in man. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Why don't you trust in the Lord today and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I could never take my sin away. I know that I can't help my situation. Let me tell you something else. Men and women who live in this society suffer from enormous and unbelievable offsetting spirits that detour them day by day from paths of righteousness, trouble in their home. There are people in this room right now, I sense in the Holy Ghost, there are people standing here whose hearts are broken because of loss of love and being turned against by folks you love the most. There are people here who have lost everything they ever had, there are others here who feel that they don't need anything from God, and they're mad. Some are here today at the simple invitation of a friend, but their heart is coarse as steel. There are others here whose hearts are melting like wax in a warm sun, because you know that God is your only hope. Now, there are some men and women who say yes to God, and others who say no. In the same service, with the same preacher, the same music, the same singing. The same sermon, same altar, same Christ, the same cross, the same blood. One says yes, another says no. That's not unique just to this day and time. The Bible said he was crucified between two male factors. The one crucified on his right hand, the other on his left. And the one man cried out and railed against him and gnashed on him and said, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and us. And he was cursed. He blasphemed. And on the other side, the man on the other cross said, this man has done nothing worthy of death. We are receiving our just due, but this man has done nothing of death. And then he turned his conversation away from the other malefactor, criminal. And he had directed his attention to Jesus Christ and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've learned that we make coming to God so hard, but it would be a great step in the right direction if you could just say, Lord, remember me. That's not all there is to salvation but that's the right direction. Lord, take a look at me. You see my trouble? Oh God, help me. You see the things I'm going through? Oh God, I need you. When you say that, when you say that, you've turned away from your own self-assistance. You stop trying to figure it out with your own mind. Suddenly the blessing of God is turned toward you because you start trusting in the Lord. When you say, oh Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom and you know what Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. And the day you open your heart to God in sincere and absolute repentance is the day that God opens the windows of heaven to you to pour out his spirit upon you to replace in your life the sadness and the loneliness of being lost and filled you with hope and immortality. I need You do that? We're going to turn the music down just a little bit because I want to hear your voice sing that out to God. Right where you're standing in the congregation, why don't you sing this old hymn of repentance with me? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I want to know, is the song worded right? Yes, it is. Because the Bible said, Blessed is every man who trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. So you can say, Oh, bless me now, my Savior, when you say, I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. And if you need the Lord, and you're singing it with us today, and you'd like for me to pray for you, Now, maybe you're embarrassed to walk down here in front of everybody, but I don't want you to be embarrassed. I want you to come and let me pray for you. Come, let me pray for you. There'll be folks right here to pray with you. Someone nearby will come with you. Why don't you sing it first of all, out of your heart, and then if you feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you, come, let me pray for you. All right? Would you sing it with me? I need Come today, this young man. Ma'am, sir, why don't you come to him today? Your tears are not an accident. You don't have to be embarrassed. Come and stand with us here. Listen, you're going to need more than a preacher to preach your funeral. Why don't you let a preacher pray for you while you're alive?